want to welcome you into my music room this morning and encourage you to just enter in and worship with us together this morning.
righteousness alone Faultless stand before the throne says that the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. God, I just pray this morning that you would help us to not turn away from you and not turn you aside from us, not reject you, God, but just to lean into you, trust in you this morning, find our lives, God, hidden with Christ in God. We just give you praise and honor this morning. We want to just give you all of our praise. And thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. Amen. God bless you, Life Church. Have a great Sunday. Well, good morning, Life Church. It's good to have you. Thanks for watching online this morning. In our series, One Story, now we come to Exodus 19. We come to the foot of Mount Sinai and God is going to give his people the Ten Commandments. 
So here we have this ragtag group of frightened, fugitive slaves. They've been miraculously freed from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea that God parted before them, right before their very eyes, miraculously. But these people have no real sense of identity at this point. They have not a lot of devotion to God. Uh, they, they've learned how to grumble, and they're ready to run back to Egypt at the very first sign of difficulty. God's plan to redeem the world runs right through these people. Seems highly unlikely, but that is the plan. Now in Exodus 19.5, God says here, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So notice before God ever gives them the Ten Commandments, he reminds Israel of his love for them. Now look at the extent of the preparations that they make in order to meet with God. Verse 10, the Lord said, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai, it says. Now here, God is establishing a brand new category of thing amongst his people. That which is holy. Say that word with me, holy. Look at verse 23 for just a moment. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourselves warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. <clears throat> Remember that phrase, set apart, because originally at its, at its root, the word holy simply meant set apart, <clears throat> reserved for a special use, not to be touched for anything else. But the problem is, the people standing there at the foot of the mountain are not holy. And since the fall, we are marked, all of us, by a terrible ambivalence towards this holy God. We're drawn to holiness. We hunger for it, but yet we're afraid of it. We long for it, and we know that we need it, but we fear that somehow it's going to kill us. Now, what we're about to read is an attempt to describe the indescribable, fallen human beings meeting with a transcendently holy God. So look with me at Exodus 19:16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Now, a trumpet blast is associated in Israel with worship. It meant the Lord is coming. But here the trumpet sounds, but there's no human being that's blowing the trumpet. So everybody starts trembling. Go on. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. <coughs> Just imagine what it would be like for an unholy people to come into the presence of a transcendently holy God. It's terrifying. Now look at the people's response. Verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die, it says. There is this constant theme throughout scripture when people really encounter the living God. The first thing that happens is that they're overwhelmed by their own sense of fallenness. The prophet Isaiah has a vision of God, and he says in Isaiah 6.1, he says, Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips, and I have seen the living God. The apostle Peter 
sees the transcendent holiness of Jesus and his response is, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The truth is we live in a pretty casual society. You ever reflect on the stunning holiness of God? I mean, ever tremble? I mean, it seems here like the mountain itself is trembling. And on this mountain, God speaks and he gives the people the Ten Commandments, the cornerstone of ethical guidelines for his people that has since changed the world and changed history. And here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to have the Ten Commandments come up one by one on your screen. And I want us, as a way of honoring God's Word, I'd like us to read these commandments one at a time. And I'll make a brief comment on each one, but let's read it all out loud together, can we? All right, here's the very first one. You shall have no other gods before me. He's saying, make following me your top priority over everything else. Okay, number two, commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Saying, serve God alone, God only. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And this can be about profanity, but not just that. It means don't misuse God's name. Don't use spiritual language to cover up a dark heart. Okay, number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In other words, honor God by ceasing your constant work and take time to worship and to rest. Okay, number five, honor your father and your mother. Even when it's difficult, show them respect, show value. Number six, you shall not murder. And this goes beyond just the mere prohibition. It means things like not holding grudges, like learning to forgive. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. This includes things like not giving into lust, not even in your heart. Number eight, you shall not steal. And you must learn to become a giver, not just a taker in life. All right, number nine, you shall not bear false witness. So be a person of integrity, not a liar. Just let the truth flow from you. And then finally, number 10, you shall not covet. So refuse to give in to envy or jealousy. Love people more than their things. So there they are, the Ten Commandments. When those Ten Commandments were given to Israel, they became their prized possession. And we've done a whole series on unpacking the Ten Commandments, so I don't need to do that today. But here's what's important to know. I've been teaching the Bible long enough to know that when we talk about the commandments, we talk about the law, there are multiple assumptions which are present. Some come from a flawed teaching maybe we had from the past, some of which come from a misunderstanding. All this is pretty common. But God begins all this by saying, I am the Lord your God. That is a covenant statement. And we, we talked about ancient covenants a few weeks ago. They were serious business. Covenants would have a preamble that would identify like who is the great power, maybe the great king that's establishing or initiating this covenant. And then there would be provisions for keeping copies of the covenant. That was really important so they could be reviewed and read publicly. Then there would be curses and blessings associated with that covenant. If you break the covenant, curses. If you obey the covenant, keep it, then there are blessings. Now, covenants would also feature a vow of faithfulness where the people would say, I will be a covenant keeper. Now, here's the significance of all this stuff. 
In this passage in Exodus, Exodus, and scattered really throughout the rest of the Pentateuch, we find every one of these features, these covenant features. This is all about covenant. The preamble is right there in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2, where God says, I am the Lord your God, and the key word there is your. I am your God. God is giving himself to these people before they even have one commandment. They haven't kept anything yet, but God already says, I am your God. I'm yours. Now, interesting side note on this. I mentioned that ancient covenants always had this provision for, for preserving copies of the covenant. I want to just say a quick word about that. Moses brings down the Ten Commandments from the mountain on how many tablets? On two tablets, right? Now, people think, and art has always shown, you have two tablets, five commandments on one and five commandments on the other. That is not why there are two tablets. <laughs> when a covenant was made, they always made two copies, one for each party, so it could be kept and read publicly, reread publicly. Now, each tablet had all Ten Commandments on them. One of the copies belonged to Israel. Who did the other copy belong to? It belonged to God. But God gives to Israel both copies of the covenant. Why? Because God had said them to them, put this in the Ark of the Covenant and take them with you, because wherever you will be, there I will be. My copy is with me, but I will be with you. Why is that? Because God already made it clear, I am the Lord your God, and I will be with you. And so every time they saw the tablets, they didn't see what we see when we look at the commandments hanging up on the wall. They didn't see just a list of rules, no. They saw a promise of the presence of God. That's how they read this. Now stay with me. Moses comes down from the mountain. And remember, if you remember this part, Israel is disobeying when they're uh, worshiping the golden calf there in the desert. I mean, they've just been delivered from 400 years of slavery by this great God. And now right away they're disobeying and they're worshiping a God that they made with their own hands? Remember how Moses responded here. He smashed the tablets, didn't he? Yeah, he, he shattered them. That was not a thoughtless outburst on Moses' part. The, the tablets were the concrete part of the vow of the covenant. Moses was doing symbolically what the people were doing really and literally. They were breaking the covenant. They didn't last one day. The law was this covenant gift that God had given his people, a description of what it would look like for them to live as a holy nation, which was what God was calling them to. It was also, it was given for them for instruction on how to live. It was also given for diagnosis, so they would know their need for grace. The Apostle Paul talks about this later on in Romans chapter 3. He says these words, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. It's there as a diagnosis for us. It clarifies right and wrong and how to live as a just, civil, loving society. It's brilliant. Now, we do have to keep in mind what might be known as the moral baseline of the human race at that time. And we sometimes comment about what a dark age we live in, in in our days. But think about this. We take for granted 3,000 years of the civilizing, restraining influence of the Judeo-Christian ethic and the power of the Ten Commandments. I mean, before all of that existed, it was a barbaric age. Life was cheap and brutal. Infanticide was common. They lived in a world where, for example, 
they had a statue to Molech, who was a false god. He was an idol. And it was a large, hollow, metal statue. And when the people wanted something from Molech, they would build a fire up and wait for this metal statue to, to start glowing red with heat. And then they would place an infant in the arms of this statue as a sacrifice. That was one of the religious practices. That was the world that they lived in back then. And slavery was everywhere. Women were largely treated as possessions or slaves. Religions regularly featured things like temple prostitution. God had to start where people were, and they were at a very, very low level. So part of the law that God gives his people has sort of a developmental quality to it. You have to start where people are. Jesus talked about this, for example, when he brings up the Old Testament law about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Most of us have heard that phrase before. Now, the reason for that law in the context of that day is that folks got killed over almost nothing, over nothing. It was a restraining law. So you've got to take into account the moral baseline of the culture into which these laws were written. And the Ten Commandments, friends, were just a very small portion of all the law that was given to God's people. It was just the beginning. If you keep on reading through Exodus and then Numbers and then Deuteronomy, it's filled with laws on how to live and it is way more detailed than you would ever imagine. Lots of you have read all the way through and you know this to be true. Now, here's the question that inevitably comes up when we start talking about the commandments and the law and all this Old Testament instruction. Here's the question. Does true commitment to God mean observing all of his commands and laws today? Does it? Well, people feel very strongly about this issue in both directions. Some say, hey, it's all God's word, period. We believe and we follow and we obey all of it. Anything less than that is less than full commitment to God. And God holds us accountable for obeying the whole Bible, not just picking out the parts we like. Sounds good, sounds noble, sounds committed, certainly. But others will say, well, all of it is obviously outdated. I mean, there's some good ideas in there to use as examples, but let's not get crazy about it. Well, there's some good moral writing, but we're a modern world. Now, you've probably heard both of those extreme trains of thought and probably everything in between as well. All kinds of opinions about this. And it's a big deal to get right. It's a really big deal. So one important thing to know is this. The Ten Commandments were never given to us as a way to earn God's love and His approval. The people already had God's love. God made it very clear. He said, I am the Lord your God and I will be with you. The commandments were to show God's people what covenant living looked like. They were to be different from all the other peoples that were in that part of the world. So, are we accountable to the Ten Commandments? Uh, we talked about this just a few months ago. Since Christ, our relationship to all of God's law has fundamentally changed. Because the Bible is really the story of three covenants. First a covenant with Abraham, then with Israel, and then with all of humanity. With a man, with a nation, and then with everyone. Somehow this escapes so many people and they get confused by all this. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is challenged by a Jewish leader who says these words, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus didn't hesitate. He said, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second, a second is equally important, he said. 
love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to these words. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. He's saying it's all summed up right there. And this became known as the law of Christ or the law of love. Now later, when Jesus was telling his disciples that he was about to give his life for them, he says these words in Luke chapter 22. He said, this cup, remember this is the Last Supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you, the once and final sacrifice. It's a brand new covenant. Later on, God gives the Apostle Paul extraordinary, God-given clarity regarding the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, between the old system of Jewish law and the New Covenant that was brought about by Jesus. He also understood the incompatibility of the old with the new. While both are true and both are inspired and both are God-ordained, one has been fulfilled by Jesus. The page is turned. You can't live under both covenants at the same time. Now listen, I love the Old Testament. I read the Old Testament. I learn from the Old Testament. There are great examples for me in the Old Testament, but I must read it with New Testament, New Covenant eyes, or it is conflicting and it's confusing and it always will be. And listen, the Ten Commandments are the greatest writing for civility and communal living in the history of the world. They're brilliant. And it's brilliant to have them hanging in courtrooms or in city halls. And they have and they do shape civil laws to live by. But listen, the Ten Commandments are not the Christian marching orders. And when the Ten Commandments are removed from some public place because somebody got a bee in their bonnet about separation of church and state, that is not the hill to die on. It's not the Christian mission to fight that legally. The Christian mission has been made clear by Jesus when he said these words right before he left. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. That's the Christian mission. Now listen, any society that values the commandments will be blessed. I believe that. But they are not the Christian marching orders. Now, we still have a tendency to mix and match covenants, don't we? God's covenant with Israel and God's covenant with the world through Jesus. We blend them. Churches do it all the time. Preachers do it all the time. And if you're a Bible reading person, which I hope that you are, you have a tendency to do this as well. We still blend Old Testament kind of covenant values and imperatives with the new covenant values and imperatives. And I get it. Maybe you got your first Bible when you were a kid and nobody sat you down and told you. Oh yeah, before you start reading that, you need to know this giant book is really divided into three covenants. The first covenant's with a guy, the second's with the nation, and the third covenant through Jesus is with people everywhere. You should probably spend most of your time here in this third one, the last one. It's all good, it's all God, but the first two are not actually your covenant. They will help you appreciate just how incredible the new covenant through Jesus is, but the old ones are not really your covenant. But because of our devotional books and because of our song lyrics, our tendency is to try to shave off the rough edges of the old to make it fit nicely with the new. But here's what Peter and Paul and the other first century Christian leaders would tell you. They don't play together nicely. They don't. They're different covenants. One led to the other, but once you got the new one, you've got to put the other one in its proper perspective. It's been fulfilled. It's still God's word and we can still learn from it, but you've got to look at it with new covenant eyes or you will live in confusion. 
Now, this is not enough time to devote to this, but I spent quite a bit on, uh, on this uh, back in the summer. And for a much more full explanation, go back to last, late September's messages in the series called The God Questions uh, from September 2020. The God Questions parts 23 and 24 and 25 uh, in particular. Uh, if you have the time, it will clear this up much more thoroughly for you, okay? Now, let me wrap up with this thought. God's law reveals just how far we have run from him. But God's gospel, God's good news, reveals just how far he has run toward us. Now, next week, we're going to pick up where the Israelites start wandering in the wilderness because there are some jewels in the wilderness for us if we can find them and learn from them. Now, remember, next Sunday, 6 p.m., we gather together for a celebration at Orlando Museum of Art. Great worship and message. We'll have communion and a time of fellowship together in our brand new place. It's going to be fantastic. Let me just close with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for your word, which guides us and leads us. Help us, Lord, to understand your word exactly in the way that you want us to. God, in any way I've come up short in all of this, I pray that you would take away the distance between my imperfection and your perfect, perfect spirit-inspired perfection. So God, Help us with your word, we pray. We trust that through your word, you will lead our lives. We love you. We look forward to being together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great Sunday.